Hello everyone, welcome to Urbonus podcast. I'm the host Donatus Urbonus and I'm joined by Ritis Vishnauskas, uh, my colleague, and I'm really excited to say that we're about to start the, our second Q&A session. Yes, indeed. I mean, our first Q&A session in my eyes was a huge success. We talked so much that we actually had to cut some some of the stuff because yeah. <laughs> it was too long. So this time we're going to we're going to try to keep it short and simple, but thanks everybody for your questions. We got a lot of questions in YouTube, on Twitter, everywhere yeah. and it's really we, we exciting to know that that you guys follow us and and you want to hear our opinions on stuff. Yeah, we had close to 50 questions uh, through a lot of different uh, platforms yeah. uh, starting with YouTube community. Um, a lot of good questions over there and uh, of course on our Twitter profiles both on Ritis yeah. uh, myself and basketnews.com uh, profiles. Just a quick reminder that you can listen and watch our podcast on youtube.com yeah. on basketnews.com channel and of course uh, Spotify uh, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, wherever you listen to your podcast, we're here. Just type Urbonus and you will find find us. And yeah, let's start. And if it's okay with you, I didn't have my morning coffee because no. I was in a rush. So, so it's a I, pleasure. I'm going to take some sips. Of course, of course. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so, I feel so, you know, it's going to be so organic podcast because yeah. we're going to mm, kind of communicate with our listeners, viewers, yeah. and we will answer the questions which they race and they're interested about. I'm one of those annoying people that cannot start their daily routine without a cup of coffee. I'm on the same team, bro. <laughs> I'm on the same team. So I, I went in here and I thought, like, I need to have a coffee because the quality of our podcast depends on it. So <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, and we can start definitely. Yeah. And once again, thank you all for all these questions. We had we selected around 20 of these uh, questions because it doesn't mean that other questions were not great. Uh, so th there were some other questions which were kind of similar to what we selected. Also, uh, what we probably talked before in our yeah. recent podcasts, or there were some questions which we just didn't know answers. Yeah. So we, we didn't want to spend uh, your time and our time on trying to analyze uh, these questions. But I would like to start from one question which a bit surprised me. And I want to ask, what is behind this? For example, Justinas Vishnauskas asks, how much is the fish? And the big question is, is it related to the famous herring tycoon video analysis that you made seven years ago? Oh my God. Is it possible? It is possible. Oh, because uh, I couldn't find any other meaning of how much is the fish. Uh, well, the other meaning could be a scooter song, how much is the fish? Do you remember the song from the 90s? I'm not so Scooter, sure. Scooter, I'm not the so German sure. band. Yeah, I know. I know. They, they, band. Had, they had a song. How much is the fish? But in nineties, I don't remember it's, any. It's literally title the title of, of the ah, song. Okay. How much is the fish? Okay, <laughs> it okay. goes like that. But he probably he he's probably addressing my um wi video from my university days. Amazing video, really. Yeah, two hours about nothing. No, you spent only 30 minutes. 30 minutes? Analyzing. Uh, but, that. but the production took like at least a few oh, hours. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so let's start <laughs> with some serious <laughs> questions then. Uh, Manto Tastrimkus and a few other guys asked a uh, kind of similar question. If Russian clubs are not coming back to EuroLeague, hopefully, uh, what teams are most likely to replace them? And which teams... Uh, the, another question would be, which teams would you choose to replace yeah. CSKA, Zenit and Unix? 
Well, um, I have two scenarios. One is, is the safest one, in my opinion. Simply give licenses and contracts to those big clubs like Bologna Virtus, um, Partizan, Valencia, That's for example. That's exactly the one of the scenarios that your league has. So this is the easiest one, yeah. in my opinion. These, these three clubs are the ones who had probably the biggest budget among the EuroCup clubs. Also, they have a rich history and they were always very, very close to be, you know, uh, long-term yeah. EuroLeague uh, these are basketball cities. I mean, yeah. Bologna in Italy, we know that it's a football-driven country, but Bologna lives basketball. Um, Valencia, people are very passionate about Valencia's basketball team and uh, Partizan, you don't need to yeah. int introduce them. But um, the other... A uh, possible scenario, in my opinion, would be uh, to give those places on merit. I mean, the finalists of the Euro Cup this season, obviously, and then you need to add one more team. But you have the situation with the uh, ABBA League, where, for example, Zvezda is not um, secured for next season's Euro League, right? Mm -hmm. So if, let's say, Partizan one way or the other gets the place, you can have both Zvezda and yeah. Partizan on board, and you would have two Serbian clubs, you would have this, the big Serbian derby, which I think would um, complement the Euro League nicely. And Virtus Bologna and Valencia are really safe options. But if you choose to go on merit, who knows, maybe some underdog team will go to the Euro Cup finals because the format is mm. is very tricky as we talked in our previous podcast. So I don't know which which uh, scenario looks like more uh, attractive to you. I'm not so sure if that's the, let's say, right scenario, but as you say, um, easy choice of Virtus, Partizan and Valencia. I just think that they will bring uh, most quality yeah. and best fan experience. What is interesting that there's another scenario which kind of, uh, which was kind of considered in the yearly headquarters, it is to stay with sixteen teams. So mm, the, to keep all these fifteen teams, or it depends what happen, what will happen with ABBA League champions. So, yeah. for example, Zvezda might be replaced by Partizan, Budućna, Servida, uh, whatever. But anyway, keep these fifteen teams and add Euro Cup finalists because right. uh, champions uh, will, will get promoted. But I'm not so sure if that's a very realistic scenario because there are two things. Uh, IMG is uh, uh, once, you know, to have as many games as possible and it probably goes uh, under the agreement with the EuroLeague because there's a big difference of uh, number of games uh, that is played be between 16 teams and 18 teams. And also some say that it, it would be kind of strange idea to... Mm, I refuse the idea of wild cards because usually that's the way how you really get some sponsors or just get some money for the organization. Yeah. Like, you know, what happened with Zenit, they brought uh, Gazprom uh, as the sponsor. It is said that uh, Monaco, they also brought uh, Fedcom, Fedcom, although yeah. they, they made it by themselves, of course, qualifying to the EuroLeague. But uh, that's another thing which could help them to keep, you know, to stay in the EuroLeague, even if won't they won't qualify to the playoffs. But probably they will. Uh, obviously, we, we will maybe talk about them a little bit later. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think it makes sense, the clubs that we mentioned. And obviously with the Russian clubs, it's kind of difficult to deal with Saskia yeah. because they are one of the shareholders mm. and it's easier with Zenit and Unix, especially Unix, because they are here basically for one season. If, yeah. if, if, if none of the bad stuff happened, 
if the Russian aggression on Ukraine didn't happen and they would be playing, if Unix doesn't make the playoffs, they don't yeah. stay in the EuroLeague anyway. So um, it's easier to deal with these two and with Seska. I don't know what kind of conversations will they have. But Virtus, Valencia, Partizan, it will look really exciting. Yeah, I, I, I really want the sec- a, a, a second Italian team, definitely, in the league. Serbian derby would be nice. And Valencia, the Spanish league always uh, they have produces money. quality. Yeah, they, have they have money. And it's kind of a proven club already yeah. because they they are in and out, in and out almost every season. They are in the Euro Cup. Then yeah. the next year they are in the Euro League. And they always have good players. When they play in the Euro League, they have more um, possibilities of signing mm-hmm. better players. At the same time, they... They're the club that keeps the core players for a long time, like Dublevic, Toby, and all the other guys. So, yeah, it, it just would make a lot of sense. Another good question by Mando Tasrimkus. Uh, what EuroLeague players are most likely to depart to the NBA after the season? I'm still living with the idea of Vasa Mitzic actually going to the NBA. And I've, uh, I mean, I love watching Vasa in, in the EuroLeague, but if he plays his whole career in Europe and doesn't even try himself in the NBA, it would feel kind of unfair because mm-hmm. you would be thinking about what could have happened if he went to the NBA. Maybe he would be even greater on on the NBA court. So I think Vasemic should get some offers in the summer and if there's a club that can offer him all the... Control uh, keys of the team, let's say, no? I mean... All the requirements that he has. Obviously, he wants to have a role on the team. Yeah, exactly. He, he he's kind not, of he's, wants he, to be a playmaker. Yeah. He's not in a position to sign like Gabi Deck. Yeah. To Just try to chase himself. some NBA yeah. dreams. He's 28 years old. He's a, he's an accomplished basketball player. But I still expect to see him in the NBA. And I think next summer could be a possibility. I think that uh, Elio Kobo is another guy uh, who might get the NBA deal and actually that's uh, his main goal uh, why he went to Europe. He just wanted to get some confidence to show NBA teams that th- that he can play and I've actually heard that there were some NBA teams who wanted him um, during the season but probably it was more about two-way contract options and his agreement with Asphalt didn't let him go uh, to, to go to the NBA but uh, when we talk about uh, when it comes uh, with Okobo, we kind of considered him as one of the top free agency targets this summer, but the thing is that he wants to go to the NBA and even if, for example, Real didn't have the agreement with Flarkin or maybe FS will try to find their replacements, the first priority of Okobo will be uh, the NBA club, so he might be off uh, of the European market. That's the same uh, what goes with Tyler Dorsey, actually. I've heard that Olympiakos wanted to extend the contract with him because he signed only for the one year. And we saw what kind of impact he made on, on this Greek team. But the thing is that he still, he still wants to go to the NBA and he won't try to sign any deal until he will try himself. I don't know if it's uh, just a free agency or summer league or, or NBA camp, preseason camps or, or whatsoever. But another name <laughs> which <laughs> which you mm, couldn't realize about uh, having, let's say, real NBA dreams is what really surprised me. And from what I've heard that that was one of the reasons he changed the agency recently is Connor Frankamp, who expects to make the NBA... Uh, through two-way contract, through guaranteed deal, through summer league—I don't know—but I was, I was honestly really surprised. I mean, players chase their dreams. We have a lot of examples of, of, with guys having ten-day contracts. For example, uh, 
I saw a guy this season in, in Orlando Magic, Hassani Gravet, I believe. He was the North Macedonian League's MVP. And then he was chasing these 10-day contracts instead of trying to do something with his career in Europe. So Fra Frankam has his mindset there. Obviously, the cards are not in his favor. If you, if you see a, a guy like Kevin Pangos struggling and not making it to the roster, what can Connor Frankam offer that Kevin Pangos doesn't? But in NBA, some strange things sometimes yeah. happen. Uh, actually, there is one player that I don't think will go to the NBA. I don't think it is on his mindset, but... I would like to see him in the NBA, and I think he could be a good fit on a, a good system. It's Sasha Vezenkov. Okay. Um, I could see him being a small forward for an NBA team. He improved his spot-up shot to a very high level. Um, some could say he's not very athletic, he's not that good on defense, but I, I don't think it would be a big problem if he plays in the right system. And he has the talent, he has the skill, he's driving to the left hand uh, strongly, and like I said, as a spot-up shooter, he could be an interesting NBA player. However, I don't think this will happen. Yeah, for example, uh, for some reason it reminded me the story of uh, Pero Antic. I mean, he also didn't look like the NBA player, but he went there, he played uh, two seasons in Atlanta. He actually averaged seven points per game in season 2013 and 14. Mm -hmm. So I don't see why Vazenkov. I mean, Vazenkov going that to chance. the NBA would be more... Um, uh, would remind me more of the Nicolo Melli move. Like mm -hmm. when Melli went from Fenerbahce and to, Pelicans, to, right? to the New Orleans Pelicans. They're different players, but at the same time, you can see some similarities. And for Melli, it didn't work out, so he came back to Europe. And if Vazenkov tries himself in the NBA and it doesn't work out, there would be like five or six European EuroLeague clubs. Yeah. willing to take him definitely because he's like 26 and he's just reaching the peak of his career right now yeah and he just signed three-year deal with Olympiacos yeah. recently uh so it's good to have him here in europe uh me myself and i uh asks uh to choose top five players in the euroleague this season yeah top five players that's in the kind of a regular question but for me it was a very hard question because i have one clear player in my top five and it is for sure nikola mirotic I mean, the way he's playing, how efficient he is. He's the he's scoring 17 points per game and making 67% uh, two-pointers and 48% uh, three-pointers, which mm. is incredible uh, knowing how often he attacks uh, the rim, uh, how what kind of defensive attraction uh, attention he gets uh, every game. And he, for me, he's a clear MVP candidate this year. I mean... But other than that, I mean... I you think two players are locks. You cannot rule out Vasilya Mitch from your top five. It That's doesn't matter true. that FS is struggling, but he's still putting up the numbers. He is definitely one of the best players mm. in Europe right now, and uh, you cannot have your top five without Vasa. I just, you know, had an idea of you know Mirotic having more complete season yeah. than than. Mitch. No, I mean if it's the MVP question, yeah, then yeah, definitely yeah. Mirotic has the upper hand this year. Uh, however, last season it seemed like that also, but yeah. the, after the playoff series, people changed their mind and and yeah, voted for Vasa. Was really bad. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I cannot disagree about Mirotic. I mean, he's one of the smartest players. Uh, if you see his game, he doesn't have too many touches of the ball. He can put up sixteen points in a quarter without even hitting the floor. I mean, with those spot-up shots, obviously his Barca system 
players like Nicolaitis always finding him in the right positions, the high-low that they play with, with Brandon Davis, for example, and those pa passes, inbound passes, he gets uh, under the rim. Uh, so the scoring abilities of this guy are just insane. Yeah, for example, under coach Svetislav Pesic, he was having almost 13 field goal attempts per game. Under Charas, in his first year in, in Barcelona, uh, he was averaging 10 uh, yeah. field goal attempts. And this year almost uh, 9.5 something like that but he's but he's also averaging a lot of free throws because his ability to draw fouls is also yeah. incredible he can draw fouls being off ball he can draw fouls if there was not even a foul well more or less. that's another question <laughs> about the referees how they look to these star players but yeah is the quality of uh, yeah, let's, selling the fouls let's just but, yeah. focus on top five we we agree on Miritic, we have to agree on, on yeah. Vasa. I have Vasa in my top five Okay, as well. so then the other players, it was not so easy to choose, actually. Mm -hmm. And we agreed we're, we're choosing from the 15 teams remaining in the EuroLeague. Yeah. Uh, so I take Jan Vesely in okay. my top five. I know that Fenerbahce this season I is having a lot of can problems. Can have him on my top five because he played less than 20 games. And yeah, with him on the court, but Fenerbahce were struggling. I mean, but I'm choosing the best five players right now, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it, it means these are the best players that I would trust the most to have on my team. And Jan Vesely to me is still one of the best big men in Europe. Mm -hmm. And I'm taking him. His stats are good this season, I but I know that Fenerbahce is not high. winning. Yeah. I know that Fenerbahce is not winning, and this is an argument against him. But I'm I'm picking Jan Vesely. Uh, I'm not thinking, let's say, about my my team, how it will look on the court. But uh, from centers, uh, the only guy I took was Walter Tavares because uh, of his impact on defense. I checked uh, the defensive rating of all Euroleague players, and with him on the court, uh, Real uh, allows less than 12 points uh, per 100% yeah. possessions with Tavares on the court. And what was interesting that the biggest impact makers on the defensive end were Nikola Kalinic. With him on the court, they allow less than 16 points per 100 possession when compared to when he's on the bench. But the leader in this category is Nick Weiler-Bob, actually. 16.8. Mm. That's a huge uh, impact uh, on defense. Well, he's a very good defender on ball. His on ball defense is amazing, really. Uh, it has to be appreciated, obviously. Again, then mm, we might disagree on some things. Tavares is great. I think he deserves a mention. I'm just going with Jan Vesely because I trust him so much. And then the other player, like it or not, Mike James is having an amazing season. Mm -hmm. The second I part of the too. season, you yeah. could say, right? Because at first with Zvezda Mitrovic, maybe some things didn't work out. But uh, in terms of skills, raw talent, ability mm -hmm. to make plays in ISO, to score in different ways, left-handed hook shots, right-handed hook shots, sidestep three-pointers. Mike James sometimes is unplayable and... I have to pick him in my top five also because of the season that Monaco is having. Yeah. They're creating a playoff story. And if you look at their recent games at home, they just trashed Oli, they trashed FS, they 
dealt with Basconia confidently and Mike James is, is is their best player he's playing like 33 35 minutes sometimes yeah I think that he's not as good as he was before I think that this year he was struggling with uh, finishing uh, and he's not so efficient even his shooting is he's having one of the lowest uh, shooting percentages in, in his whole EuroLeague career. But anyway, as you mentioned, talent, the way he's leading this Monaco team, we didn't believe that it's a kind of, you know, top eight lock. But it's not just about the results they're showing. I mean, the game, the quality of the game, and not only Coach Obradovic, but of course, Mike James was one of the main reasons of their, let's say, season renaissance, yeah. uh, which they had. So he completely deserves that uh, spot on the top five. And then I had a debate with myself, who am I picking? Uh, Me too. Uh, I have two point guards, or one you could say is a combo guard. Uh -huh. And I was thinking about Costas Lucas. Uh, Olympiakos is having a great season. Mm -hmm. Costas Lucas is a huge part of that. He's one of the leaders. Uh, should I go with him? Then I thought again, should I go with Sasha Vezenkov? Because mm -hmm. he's great this year. Yeah, he he he's proving to be an elite uh, Euroleague player right now, but um, again, then I thought I'm picking five best players that I think are the best in terms of skill, in terms of experience, winning experience, all that stuff, and I just could not omit Shane Larkin. I'm sorry. I know mm. that his recent performances were not great. Uh, we heard Especially about last him. week. Yeah, we heard about him being sick, and it affected his performances. I know that the numbers are down a little bit, but I mean, still Shane Larkin is a guy that can win you basketball games on his own with his amazing scoring potential. And I don't think he got any worse from what he was during the 1920 season. He's still the same player. Uh, he is still like third in performance index rating this year, only behind uh, Tavares and Mirotic. For, for a guard, it's a big thing. I have to pick Shane. Although, although I actually think that performance index rating is kind of overrated. Oh, it is. Of course number. it is. Of yeah. course it is. I mean, you can have two games with like 29 and then you have one game with four where you definitely underperform, but the average and from these three games would still that. look okay. I just think that for bigs, it's way easier uh, to get a higher uh, PAR uh, Not necessarily. I, I wouldn't agree I think, with that. I think that rebound is easier uh, to get when assist, for example, for but, a guard. But if you're a guard, like Vasa, Mitsich, or Shane Larkin, you always have the ball in your hands. You're also drawing a lot of fouls. That's true. Assists. I mean, oh, in, it, they're it, also drawing a lot have, of fouls. We have Vasa and Larkin in the top five, for example, both guards. Which and, tells and, about their quality. And Vezenkov, of course, is there, which is why I'm saying Lucas and Vezenkov, honorable mentions, but my top five EuroLeague players right now looks like this. Vasa Mitsic, Shane Larkin, Mike James, Nikola Mirotic, and Jan Veseli. Yeah, I had the same debate for about my guards. Uh, I was just choosing between Larkin and Tyler Dorsey. I just love what Dorsey added to this Olympiakos uh, team. But come on, is Dorsey a top five EuroLeague player right now? I mean, the way he was playing, he was very, very efficient scorer, really. But the thing is, that's exactly why I didn't choose him. That's why I took uh, Shane Larkin. Yeah. Because I just cannot consider him being... Uh, over some of these guys. I, I wasn't building a five with positions like. I was, yeah, just, yeah. I was just choosing neither, top five yeah, players. Yeah. So if, if, if 
we talk about Olympiakos players. I just I wanted think to give uh, praise for any of Olympiakos players. That's that's, that's why. That's why I'm saying it's Lucas and Vezenkov, yeah, in yeah. my opinion. Dorsey is great, but I don't think he's on that level. Okay, we can move on. Yeah, uh, question by Matiauskas. Uh, if Zenit is not in the league uh, next year, uh, what will be the situation of Xavi Pascal and uh, Fenerbahce claims true? But the question we could also raise the team where we would like to see Xavi Pascal mm -hmm. next. The obvious one is Maccabi. They're craving for a good coach, a good manager, you could say. And they need to build something. And Xavi Pascual is, is a person that can build teams, not only coach teams, but build teams. And then again, you... You, mo you might have Dimitri Situdis also available. Who knows? So for Fenerbahce, I think Itudis might be a better fit because they already went through Jelko Bradovic system. Itudis is sort of Jelko's man. Oh, but you're um, kind of firing uh, Djordjevic? I'm thinking about it. I mean, the season is not great. But you know what's so difficult about Fenerbahce? That, for example, if we included these games against Russian teams, I know they would be in top eight. And I, I know, but the question was about Xavi Pascual and Fenerbahce, so mm. I'm I'm just brainstorming about Itudis as well. And, mm. and if I'm choosing a coach for Fener, and I'm choosing between Xavi Pascual and Itudis, I might pick Itudis because, as I said, he's like Jelko Bradovic's man, and they already had success with Jelko. Xavi Pascual is one of those great European basketball masterminds. Maccabi, an American team, I would like to see that happening. I'm not sure if it's the best fit for Xavi himself, but it's a but basketball for example, culture. Take, take, take Zenit. They had a lot of American players, starting from Shabazz Napier, Lloyd, Poitras, Jordan Mickey. The good thing is that he built that team. Yeah. I mean, he worked with the... Uh, Sporting director together, they build the team together. Uh, Xavi Pascual always knows what he needs in point guard position, in center position. So if Maccabi can give him the freedom to pick players and to create the system, Xavi Pascual is the man. But again, other clubs should be interesting, interested in him as well. So, yeah, from from what I heard, that uh, Xavi has a huge offer uh, from Zenit. Uh, because they're doing all the best they can just to keep him at least until summer to check if they will continue in the Euroleague or not. And I'm talking about huge money, actually. Just to, let's say, postpone his decision, his move, his possible contract negoti negotiations with other clubs until, let's say, June and July when the Euroleague will decide what to do with these uh, Russian clubs. That's why they're putting a lot of effort in winning the VTB League. What's funny that, for example, I don't know if you n uh, noticed, probably not, but now VTB League website is um, only in Russian. Before, I remember that it was, uh, you could uh, like read VTB League website in like five different languages. Now it's only in Russian. So they're playing their own Cold War, let's say. But anyway, they're, Zenit, they're putting huge effort uh, to win the VTB just in case to show the EuroLeague that they deserve that place. Let's say we were mm. the best team in, in, in Russia. We still have this program. We still have this Xavi Pascal. They have a lot of money. Uh, so there, there are a lot of um, uh, belief that they might uh, keep uh, Chavez. Although these rumors about 
مقعد بين فنرباشا اريل اي هاف تو ادميت اند بفنرباشا وات از انترستنج ذات ات ليست فروم وات اي هيرينج فيرست ثينج از ذات وي نو ذات ساشا جورجيفيتش واز سايند فور 3 ييرز اي ثينك ذات ات واز ا ديل فور 3 ييرز بس اي ثينك ذات it is uh, not guaranteed and i think that there is a plus after the first season yeah. and of course if fenerbahce fails to make the playoffs um, no matter what are the you know what happened with the standings or, or not uh, they can uh, get him out of the contract and if there at least there is some speculation that if they're bringing chavi it is possible that the sports director of zenit uh, manos papadopoulos will also join him because there are rumors and possibility that mm. mauricio garadini might leave the club so for instance it would be a full that, rebuild i mean that would be a full rebuild but the best rebuild you can expect because you're getting amazing gm yeah, yeah. and amazing uh, head coach if you're rebuilding a basketball team in euro euroleague and you have the financial resources chavi pasqual is a person that can guarantee you playoffs in, in the very first season yeah again th- there could be some other interesting destinations if let's say for example Virtus Bologna doesn't finish the season on a high note uh, with the Euro Cup and the Italian League playoffs, but they get invited to the Euro League with a wild card or a l- contract or something. And the Scariolo project is not as successful. I could definitely see Chavo Pascual in Virtus. Why not? They they are going for these big name coaches. Georgievich was yeah. was one before. Now Scariolo. They have money. They have projects. Chavo Pascual. Why not? I mean, coaching market will be so interesting and, and predictable uh, because, for example, there are already a lot of rumors that uh, if Lasso leaves Real Madrid, it is possible that Itudis uh, is coming. Mm. There are rumors that Yanis Foropoulos, who was actually the first option uh, by Jalgiris, he might be waiting for Bayern situation because for some reason, although Trinkieri has a deal with Bayern for the next year as well, There are a lot of rumors and speculations that he might leave the club. And we already saw these rumors about Maccabi before uh, Chavi Pascal name uh, pop, uh, popped out. So a lot of coaches under on expiring contracts, although coaches like Messina should stay in, in Milan or Bartzokas in Olympiakos. But for example, Ataman, I think that he's uh, becoming a free agent. So mm. a, lot of, a lot of teams with uh, potential uh, coaching moves. That's mm. going to be interesting uh, to follow. Uh, by the way, But the place where I would actually love to see Chavi would be Panathinaikos. Because all these organizations, even Maccabi, uh, they have money. They have financial abilities to bring uh, big coaches, big players. And Chavi is proved, has proved as a coach who can win with low-budget team. For example, is in it last year. Okay, it's hard to uh, describe them as a low-budget team. But at least nobody kind of expected them to be so successful and competitive. So even with the a bit lower budget, that would be a huge win for your league because you would have Panaikos competitive again. Because no mo- no matter who they will sign as the head coach, I mean, Panaikos they will be kind of for sure out of playoff picture uh, team. With Xavi, the conversation is different. He can build a team with less money. Uh, Dimitris Genakopoulos is kind of off the team, and if he works with, uh, together with Diamantidis, with Alvertis, it would be very, very interesting mm. project. But I think that still Panathinaikos needs to be in a much better 
position than they are right now to sign co- a coach like of this. Of course, of course. I mean, they have to offer not only good money because his market value is way more one million. I think that in Zenit he's getting one point five, which for Panathinaikos is crazy money. Their total net budget is five million. Then you will be paying. One and a half million for your coach you and, uh, and, you and one million euros for Papa Petru. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> What's left? It's impossible, right? So the situation in power needs to improve. It's, it's more li- like a dream, not yeah, a possible yeah, yeah. destination. I get it. I mean, Xavi was a success in power, even though people at the time didn't see it that way. But not I mean, come on, he got them home court advantage two years in a row. It's not his fault that they had to face Fener and, and Real Madrid in the playoffs, teams that eventually became champions. It just happened so that Fener was fifth, Real Madrid was fifth. I mean, Real Madrid was with Luka Doncic. Yeah. What, what can you do about that? But Xavi brought them to the playoffs and with the home court advantage. So I think his time in Panathinaikos actually was underappreciated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, we can move on. Xavi Pasquale is obviously one of the big name coaches. It will be interesting to see what happens. Uh, how to improve Barca roster next season? Any news about Brandon Davis' renewal? Kike asks. And also there's a question uh, by Andres Schillens. Uh, he asks, uh, with Roland Smith's contract expiring in June and with Schengelia signing, uh, at least that's what was reported, do you see Smith getting a new contract in, in Barca? And where would you see him go? Right. A lot of uh, stuff about Barca. Okay, um, uh, first of all, I will try to give my opinion about the Roland Schmidt situation. Mm-hmm. Then you can um, elaborate on Brandon Davis and his contract. Maybe yeah. you have some news. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in my opinion, Roland Schmitz, if everything is going the way it is, should not be on Barca next season. I mean, right now when they have problems, he's playing the fifth position and he's actually playing really well. Uh, this is a good situation for him because... In the Spanish league, he's proving that he can play at the very top, Barcelona. And then I could see him definitely, for example, on Valencia roster. If Valencia is in the EuroLeague, they could offer him a solid role. And why not? I think it could be a good destination, a team like Basconia, for example. If they're looking for a power forward, someone who can play the fourth and fifth position, uh, although they have Costello right now, but if they would be searching the market... A player like Roland Schmitz is a no-brainer. You sign him. I mean, Basconia has a good history with, with uh, players from the Baltics. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's another ar- argument, even though it might sound a little bit silly. Uh, I think either way, he should stay in Spain and should be playing on one of those Spanish teams. In, yeah, because in, in he's, a, he's playing as a local player. Yeah, but Barcelona, if they actually sign Schengelia, if Mirotic is still there... To be the third option in your position, nah. And yeah, and I actually think that they really like John Brown, and we're talking about a hardworking guy who brings a lot of intensity mm. and energy on the court. That's what Roland Schmidt uh, was doing in Barcelona. I, I like him a lot as a role player because he always <laughs> takes all this criticism from Sharuna Sesekavijus, and he he's okay with that. He's very simple uh, guy who just uh, goes uh, goes to fishing uh, every every mm. summer, and that's the best thing for uh, for Roland uh, Schmidt. But with all these players coming, with all these potential yeah. targets, like for example, John Motley is another guy who who might be um, heading to Barcelona the next uh, summer. I I don't see him uh, on that team, and especially if John Brown is coming, because yeah. they kind of 
similar in what they bring uh, on the court. Regarding to Brandon Davis, uh, I love him a lot. I would love to see him uh, in, in Barcelona in the, in the future. But the thing is that, yeah, he's becoming a free agent. And uh, I've heard that Chadas really likes him, although... They always have that kind of you know roller roller coaster relationship uh, that started in in, in Jalgiris Konas, uh, but the question is if Davis uh, would like to continue with uh, Barcelona. Probably a lot of depends on money other teams might offer him, and the question is in what kind of what kind of status of their relationship Shulnas will be at the end of the season when he will have to decide on his future. Because I can clearly see a lot of good Euroleague teams uh, going after Davis. For example, he would be a great a- fit for FS, exactly. FS needs an improvement in center M- position. Milan as well. I mean, yeah. a lot of teams. I'm not even talking about Maccabi, uh, for example, Fenerbahce. A lot of, <sighs> Mil- a lot of teams Milan, for him. It, it, could you imagine, like, if they replace Caleb Tarchevsky with Brendan Davis, the, yeah. s- the switch all defense yeah. uh, that the Torre Messina loves? You have Davis you have and Hines in the center position. <laughs> wow. It yeah, would be, exactly. It would be amazing. Yeah, Brendan Davis might be one of the hottest free agents, actually. Um, and, and then the question was about how, how would you improve, improve yeah. Barcelona's... Well, Actually, there's not a lot to improve. Not a lot l- of room l- for flexibility. Let's for add Corey moves. Higgins to the picture. Healthier he, Corey. He's Higgins. injured. He's not, and we're forgetting that Corey Higgins is not. Barca's winning games. Yeah. They signed Dante Exum. We're forgetting that Corey Higgins is actually probably the best shooting guard uh, for the past five or yeah. six years in in the Euroleague. I mean, come on. And probably second most important uh, guy in that team after Mirotic. And do you remember last, even last year's final yeah. four? Who got them to the final? He it was saved Corey them. Higgins. He saved them. And they're playing without Corey Higgins, and we're taking it for granted that they're winning the regular season. Wow. So to improve the roster, I don't think there's much to be done. The star players are there. If Miratic is staying, if, let's say, if Brandon Davis is staying, you're you're kind of sorted. You have Nick Kaladis as a floor general. You have Jokubaitis for one more year, mm. even improved. And Laprovitola fits the system. What could they add, in my opinion, is another body at the small forward position. I don't think I, I don't see Nigel Hayes Davis as a very good solution. Maybe mm. for short term, maybe for this year. It doesn't seem to me that he's in a very good position right now, and yeah. he might consider some options in the summer. And at the same time, Barcelona could get somebody better. And um, of course, we cannot forget that Alex Abrines is coming back yeah. after the injury, and he finally had an amazing game against Fenerbahce, and making also, all these three pointers. Also, an amazing game against Gran Canaria yeah. in the Spanish league. So he's getting, he's getting back there. Yeah. So, but again, you could you could improve in the small forward uh-huh. position, upgrading from Nigel Hayes Davis to let's say Nikola Kalinic. It's, it's just a thought. Yeah. And over Davis, I mean, it's hard to find, let's say, a player who could be a clear improvement. Uh, in let's say a normal situation with the money that Barcelona no. has, it's really tough to find. Ideally, I think you should keep him. And like I said, there's not much to improve. They have an amazing roster. Yeah. They have an amazing team and a lot of players on contracts. So they're they're okay for the upcoming summer. Dante Exum probably doesn't stay. Yeah, he has his mind yeah. on the NBA. So in the summer, he will definitely look forward to getting some NBA deals. So. But for this season, Dante Exum, having him around, this is an amazing thing for, for Barcelona. Dimos Kletsiftis, uh, for the next season, if Larkin leaves FS, who you would like to, who you would take to replace him? And another question, if they leave Fener, where the Colo Wesley goes? Right. 
So first of all, let's try to discuss about FS. And Dogush also asks how will another FS refresh their roster next season, yeah. who will stay, who will leave. And actually that's very different situation what we have in Barcelona. We have a lot of expiring contracts yes. in FS. Mitic might leave for the NBA. Larkin on an expiring contract. Simon, Dunstan, Singleton, Mormon, uh, they are on expiring contracts. So FS might face the rebuild, actually. They have to face it. They got old. Yeah. We, we, we've talked about it a lot, actually, during the season. So let's just go step by step, right? Mm -hmm. So first of all, the, if the question... for Larkin. Replacement for Larkin. I have this crazy dream in my head about Ergin Ataman with Mike James. <laughs> I also try to think about this pairing. It sounds the, very interesting. That will be, I'm not so sure if it's a good fit. But that would be endless entertainment for all of us. Yeah. You know, Ataman going at Mike James on EuroLeague TV interviews and then Mike James on Twitter. That would wow. be an amazing season, really. But, yeah, but actually, re realistically, a player like Shane Larkin, is it, is it possible to say, like, replace him with somebody? Talent-wise, Mike James seems to be, like, a logical replacement. And the only one, actually. <laughs> yes, exactly. Who else you can say? You like, can say Okobo? that Okobo, but he's not still he's still unproven player for that level. Yeah. He's not, he was not consistent in, in Villarban this year. I could see, like, replacing Vasa Mitches with Lorenzo Brown. Mm-hmm. Some similar, uh, some similarities in their game. Also, a tall point guard that can control the team, and he's a very good defender as well. That would make sense. You can try to sign Dorsey if he's coming back, but he's not on uh, Larkin's level. I don't know, man. Mike James in Anadolu F a shirt jersey um, under Ergin Ataman. That would be entertaining. One last dance that would be by Mike James in the Euroleague. I'd love to see that. That would be really entertaining. Uh, <laughs> then we can talk about their whole rebuild. After that, we can focus on the Colo and Vesely mm -hmm. situation. So the whole rebuild, you mentioned those players that James Anderson have is also expiring winning. contracts. So from all these players, I'm keeping Mormon. Mm -hmm. If I could extend him with like one plus one or a two-year deal, he still has a lot to offer, in my opinion, as a power forward. He's very solid. He's having his best season in terms of shooting. His three-point shooting is really consistent right now. Uh, I'm keeping Mormon. Probably I'm, I'm keeping Dunstan as a backup center if I have Brandon Davis as my main center. Yeah, it, it's it's possible. But then uh, Simon, Singleton, Anderson. With all the respect to, to Simon, for example. But we need to re think refresh the position. The reason of his bad season is not only related to injuries, but also with the relationship, uh, related to relationship with Ergen Ataman, probably, because, you know, he got fined because At Ataman didn't let him mm -hmm. go to a funeral. A lot of stuff was happening. So they kind of just need some refresh, uh, let's say. But yeah, other than that, other than Mormon and, and Dunstan, uh, they, they need new faces. Uh, but then a power forward is a must. Uh, I have Mormon, it's okay, but I need another one because right now, for example, the last games they played, there was no singleton, so Mormon was covering like 34 minutes and then they played some limited minutes with Anderson at the fourth position. It shouldn't be like that for a team like FS. And again, I'm thinking about Matthew Costello. I've mentioned his name before as a stretch four who can sometimes play in the fifth position. I think it would be a nice addition oh, to this. But you uh, want to have FST. both Costello and Mormon. Yeah, need two team. good power forwards, uh -huh. and and for Ataman's offensive system, they both should be able to shoot the ball. Mm -hmm. Why not? Costello is also a good rebounder. Um, 
So to replace Singleton with, with Costello would make sense to me and keeping Mormon again for at least one more season, I'm sorted in I'm the power forward position. I'm thinking about something more physical and maybe, let's say, more versatile so that John I Brown? could use uh, as a center. John Brown? John Brown, for example. John I, Brown. I don't have a clear name, but let's say I, I want a bit different player than Mormon is. Well, then John Brown comes to my mind. But again, you're facing a lot of competition for John Brown. If yeah. Shadas and Barca want him, you might not get him. So you need to have a backup plan. And then the small forward position, which is very important. Actually, p- teams facing Anadol Efes, they always try to attack mm-hmm. them at the third position because Ataman plays with free guards a lot, with Mitzic, Boba, and Larkin on the court. Or he puts uh, Elijah Bryant uh, as a small forward, Kronoslav Simon. These days he is getting injured barely even playing so and james anderson is also a veteran with an expiring contract so a very important signing for the small forward position could you see ha- could you see it happening like if if the sky is out of the euroleague out of the yep. picture will Clyburn yep. is becoming available that was my first option for for fs for that a small forward an, uh, that would be an amazing well, Mario signing Hizonia, for example maria yeah. hezonia mike james on ergen Atamati. <laughs> Uh, but uh, a small forward is, is is a must for them. Yeah, 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 I agree. And you need to replace Singleton and you need to sign a center. Again, then Mitzich Larkin situation, if both of them are leaving, it's very difficult. Mm. If only one of them leaves and the other one stays, it's easier. Although we don't see that happening. I mean, even Mishko Rajnatovic mentioned in, in, in my interview that uh, there's a bigger possibility that Mitic leaves FS this year than the last summer, yeah. for example. We saw all these reports about Larkin and, and Real Madrid. And a lot of it depends on how much money they will have. Because from what I heard, at least one source was mentioning, suggesting that uh, FS will have a budget decrease mm. for the next season. So, you know, if you go for a rebuild, the budget decrease... That's tough. That's tough. Sometimes uh, a budget decrease is a blessing in disguise. Do you remember Olympiacos? Mm-hmm. When they had a team full of superstars with Linus Glazer, Josh Childress, and, the, Lucas. and then they announced that the budget is going to be lower. And they want to really twice need in to a row. build a team around one superstar player, Vasilis Ponulis, and, and they were the EuroLeague champions mm. with a lower budget. Yeah. So, for example, Zenit, they entered the EuroLeague with a bigger budget, but without Xavi Pascual. Mm-hmm. Then they had a very bad first season in the EuroLeague. Then they yeah. had a lower budget with Xavi Pascual, and they built a team that made the playoffs and, and gave a five-game series to Barcelona. So, the budget decrease, it depends on yeah. what level decrease we're talking about. If it's like 10% decrease, doesn't change much, in my opinion. If yeah. it's like... And 50% and yeah, of course. Yeah, and we know that Ergin Ataman is good at building rosters. So we kind of can, we could trust Ergin Ataman building a new interesting FS team yeah. even with less money. Yeah, but we, we've talked about those names. Either way, if you're losing superstar players, you need to replace them with other superstars. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. So the Colin Vesely, yeah, yeah, the yeah, question yeah. was uh, if they leave Fener where they would go. Well... I can see, for example, I can see Jan Vesely in Milan. I can see Jan Vesely anywhere, <laughs> to be honest. That's right. I mean, Barcelona replacing Brandon Davis with Jan Vesely. That Why would not? make sense. That Sorry, would make I sense. Need to switch it off. There were sound. some rumors about him and Barca last summer, probably. There were already some rumors about Milan. Mm. It would be a nice uh, pair with Kyle Hans. And then the Colo, his situation is different. is different, right? 
we know he's still at the very top, but he's 34, mm -hmm. 35. That's, you already said the answer. I would like to see him in Real Madrid, but I have too many veterans already on that roster. But then, if there's no Shane Larkin in Madrid, uh, a two-year deal with Nando De Colo, maybe, why not? Let's give it a try. Quality-wise, that's a good solution. Either way, we're thinking about De Colo as a free agent and some teams would like to sign him for, let's say, a one-year deal or two-year deal. If it's not Madrid, then again, I'm thinking about Virtus coming to the EuroLeague. I'm actually thinking about Valencia coming to the EuroLeague. And because De Colo making I'm a comeback? If I'm right, yeah, he's making a comeback. And if I'm correct, his wife is from Valencia. So mm. it's kind of home for him. And for example, Valencia is giving two or three year deal for De Colo to finish his career. Mm, I no, think that he that, will love that solution. That, there were, that there sounds were, nice. There were some rumors about that even before his move to Fenerbahce when Valencia was mentioned as one of the possible destinations for him. So I would love to see him back in Valencia and making Valencia also a very interesting team to watch. I'm in the pretty Euro sure Valencia fans agree with you on this one. And yeah, it actually makes, makes sense. Yeah. You could take a pay cut. I mean... You already mm -hmm. have a lot of money. Valencia maybe will not offer you as much as Real Madrid could, or even Virtus. Mm. But although the owner of Valencia is a very rich guy, he owns the so you can add, biggest brand he of can supermarkets add in Valencia. something extra if, yeah. if it's the Colo we're talking about. And if I remember well, they are building a new arena also. I just don't mm. remember when. So I would see a lot of sense, you know, giving him a long-term contract to finish his career, and then maybe he will uh, take a pay cut. Nice. Okay. Good. Uh, there were some rumors about Monaco, uh, but from what I've heard, just from taxation, uh, it's just too difficult for Monaco to to sign French uh, player on the salary that uh, the Colo is, mm. is 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 getting, and he was getting in Fenerbahce around two million uh, euros per season. Yanis uh, uh, asks about Rokas Gedraitis. That was. Interesting question, uh, especially for us Lithuanians, so I just thought to, to bring it in. Is it a good option for Olympiakos to sign Rokas Gedraitis? Well, in my opinion, Olympiakos could use another shooter, uh, a real pure shooter, let's say, and Rokas Gedraitis might play in that role. He's, he's known for his off-ball movement. He does need to have the ball in his hands a lot. And in a team he's with... good with, in a fast-break situation. Yeah, in a team with Lucas, with Dorsey, with Walkup, and all these other guys, uh, I think it's it could be a good signing for Olympiakos, actually. Do you it, see him instead of Shaq McKissick then? Probably, yeah. I mean, Rokas Gedraitis is not the most consistent player, yeah. but he would add something mm. on top of what Olympiakos has already. It would make sense, right? A shooter, I just think that McKissick is a better defender. And, you know, he is, he's more athletic. For, yeah. But I think Olympiakos is sorted. Mm -hmm. on defense yeah. and the only way i could improve this team right now realistically is another shooter mm. because right now they have too many guys that you can risk on defense mm. and we saw that in the monaco game for example when monaco were leaving guys like mckissick lerenzakis and some others open and they couldn't make shots and olympiakos had lucas in the foul trouble and you know the outcome of the game mm -hmm. so rocas gedraitis gives you Free pointers, he gives you fast breaks, he gives you effort. Why not? Yeah, I just see that according to Bibliotics, uh, Olympiakos has the fourth best offensive rating, but they're ninth in three point shooting yeah. accuracy. Just 
one thing for sure to the Greek fans and and to the one that's asking the question. If you're signing Rokas Gedraitis, you will have to accept that he's not super consistent. He will have those nights where shots are not falling and he seems like disappeared from the court. But in the long run, run, he's a very solid addition. Yeah, but the problem is that he's under the contract with Bosconia for the next year. Uh, He has a player option in his contract, but if you want to get out of this uh, deal, you have to pay a quite significant uh, buyout. So... Although it's a good idea, it's not very realistic mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. Edgar Berzinc uh, asks, "Oh, any idea how Maxvitis uh, shapes up Jalgiris roster? What just what do you <sighs> think about um, Maxvitis uh, signing in general?" I mean, if 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 Jalgiris wants to go the Lithuanian way, Maxvitis was their main target for the last three years. The 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 first two years thing maybe. is that okay they like to go Lithuanian way, but their first option was Yanis Faropoulos and mm. these coaches from the top shelves. I even heard that they kind of contacted Xavi Pascal, but probably just, you know, to check if that well, what li- seems impossible could be possible. But two years ago when they needed to replace Sharas, Maxvitas was the first option. Yeah. Uh, and then they couldn't get him, like the Lithuanian national team also couldn't sign him because of his contract with with uh, Perme. Mm-hmm. Perm. Um, and now... Okay, they're going to go with Kasis Maxvitis as the head coach. Uh, how the roster would shape up is an interesting question. I have absolutely no confidence in Kasis Maxvitis building a EuroLeague team. I'm sorry. I, he's known for coaching teams, not building teams and signing mm. players. And this is the first time in his career when he will be in this position. And then the other thing is... When Jalgiris will be preparing their roster for the next season, when Jalgiris will be building a team and actually they will have their first training camps, Kazismak Svitis will, will be preparing a Lithuanian national team for the Eurobasket and he will be there um, in the beginning of autumn coaching the team in Germany in the Eurobasket. Yeah, he, he will join the team only around September 20, so something like that. I think it's probably like one or two weeks before his rookie Euroleague season. Yes. So I think if Jalgiris decided to go with Kasis Maxvitis, they need to sign a very strong sporting director and to have a very clear idea what players they need. And Kasis Maxvitis, I don't know if he can build a team. I don't know if he is scouting the EuroLeague market as well as Stratas and all the other top coaches does. No, no, no. He, he knows Lithuanians, right? So Kasis Maxvitis is probably a second chance in Jalgiris for a guy like Thomas Dimsha. Uh, they obviously would like to re-sign Marius Grigonis if it's possible, but I don't think you can build a purely Lithuanian team and be successful in the EuroLeague. So to choose your main point guard is the biggest thing for the next season. This is the biggest thing. Dralgiris this season doesn't have a reliable point guard. So you will have to invest money into that position and to sign a real point guard that can attack the switch all defense, can play in one-on-one actions that can create shots for himself. I don't know, it will be difficult. And with your head coach being in the Eurobasket, it doesn't help, really. And uh, I think that Kazis Maxvitis is the one who really deserved that chance to coach Jalgris Konas. Uh, I'm not saying that uh, he will he will be a very successful coach. I'm not sure about that, but from Lithuanian market, I think that he did everything what was possible uh, in his power, at least to get this chance. 
but I just think that timing is wrong for this situation. Yeah. Just as you mentioned, Eurobasket, preparation for the Eurobasket. Uh, he doesn't have any EuroLeague experience. And the worst part is that so far I just don't see any experienced helper uh, assist any, you know, helping hand in building the roster because we have Paulus Matiunas, uh, who before with Sharas, he was taking more of, of the business side and he was very successful with that. When he tried to make some basketball related moves, we saw what happened. Then we have Paulus Yankunas probably coming in sports director position. No experience, no experience, not just, you know, searching the markets, but no experience, experience in working in the office. I mean, that's a way more difficult thing when it looks like looking aside and we don't really know a lot of good former basketball players who turned out to be good managers. And the next thing is that they already made a hire. They, they hired 25 year old uh, scout, uh, Erika Skirvelaitis. Who, who who got famous uh, bringing Ball Brothers uh, to Priyani. I, I have nothing against that move, but the thing is that in all this team, I see this table where four men are sitting here and just trying to build the roster. I just don't see any experience. And you have the head coach on the phone. Oh yeah, because he's with the national team. Yeah, yeah. exactly. He's here only you know, via Zoom conference call mm -hmm. or something. So in, in general, I'm not a big fan of the idea that the coach ha can have these two jobs in the national team and the EuroLeague yeah, team. Yeah, I, yeah. I know that Itudis is now going to coach the Greek national mm -hmm. team. Again, obviously... But dur probably that decision was also based on what yeah. will happen with his club mm -hmm. career. During those windows, it's okay. The assistant coach can, can take care of the national team, uh, but then you have to devote your whole summer for the national team. And it's not the best place to be where you're coaching the national team, but at the same time, you're thinking about signing players for the club. I don't Which know. Which is not your comfort zone at all. It doesn't sound right. I agree with you that Kazis Maxvitius eventually had to become Ralgiri's head coach but it's not the right timing, really. Because, okay, it will be a multi-year uh, deal. And we can say that, okay, it will be only the first year of, of the project. But, you know, we have to, probably often what happens that the way how you set the tone in your first months and your mm. first year might have a lot of impact for your future. And if they will start badly, if they will look bad, if they will have to deal with the roster they have, for example, last year, it's then it's very hard to regain the confidence of mm. the ownership at your abilities and to regain the confidence of fans. It's it's not that easy as easy as it looks like. And you know we can just say that theoretically that they will you know uh, not not like waste, but they will give up the first season for the future. Mm. But it, it's it's harder than it sounds actually. And I don't see the situation continuing for three years that he's coaching the national team and the club. No, no, no. That's that's the decision which he will have to you make. Need to choose your basket. You need to choose your priorities, and these days the priority usually is the club and the Euroleague. So I want Asferopoulos to be honest. I want Asferopoulos to start rebuilding the Jalgiris team, but we will see what happens. It's too early. They actually didn't even announce Maxvitas officially yet. Yeah, as probably the head coach. They, I mean, we know it's going to happen. Yeah. But let's just wait. Yeah, and Asferopoulos was their first option, and from what I've heard, he was asking something around maybe more than half a million uh, euros, which is 
logical. I think that's a fair money to Coach Feropoulos and his uh, coaching staff. But the thing is that he just, he's smart. I mean, he knows that there will be a lot of moves in the coaching market, so he might get something bigger than Evan Jargitis. For example, he was, uh, he always had let's say, fans and CSKA front office, he will be for sure considered as one of the top uh, choices when some team will need a, a new head coach. So, so yeah, mm, we will see. Regarding to the roster, at least from what I hear so far, of course, another team with a lot of uh, potential changes. Uh, it, it's kind of clear that uh, players like uh, Yankunas is retiring, Strelnik's is kind of retiring from the Euroleague. Uh, Ty Webster uh, should be gone as well. Niels Giffey, although he has plus in his contract, but uh, he even wanted to leave the team during the season, so I don't see him continuing in Konas. Nivo also had plus uh, for the next year, but he changed his agency recently and he's expected to move. Kavanaugh, I think that Jargiris would like to keep him, and I also like him as my backup option for power forward because he, he improved during the season. He's a, he can shoot as a stretch four, and he has that kind of Lithuanian mentality, which he showed in in, in, in LKL games against Ritas, uh, for example, being very competitive and uh, team guy on Jargiris. Laverne, I think that he's... I have to be honest, I'm not the fan of... Joffrey Laverne style of center in low-budget team like Jalgiris, but I think that that's the center that fits to Kazis Maxvitis. Because usually he kind of reached success, he even reached the success with Simas Galdikas. So we can imagine that he will <laughs> use uh, Laverne uh, yeah. as best as possible. We, we will get back to Jalgiris in summer. Obviously, we're going to have a lot of talks about them in Lithuania and probably in our podcast as well. Right now, I'm just in a position where I don't really have the trust in Jalgiris' organization to build a successful mm -hmm. EuroLeague team because ever since Sharas left, they had a one season with like what Sharas, what they inherited from Sharas. The players like Walkup and all the others, Jakubaitis having his best season, breakthrough season and stuff like that. And it was like the honeymoon season for Martin Schiller, mm. which turned out to, who turned out to be a random coach no offense. And every move they're making ever since Sharas left is is not good. Mm. So I don't have the trust right now in this organization, but maybe they will surprise me pleasantly. I think that they should have brought, uh, brought Ginas Rutkauskas, the former vice president of Lokomotiv Krasnodar. He already worked in Jalgiris for two decades, uh, decades uh, probably. Uh, with some um, short stretches in, in, in Russia and teams like Lokomotiv, uh, Dynamo Moscow, yep. also Bamberg as well. And he is that guy uh, who can offer some guidance mm. either for rookie coach Max Vitis, either for Polus Matunas, even scout Erikas Kervelaitis. Uh, I mean, he's very experienced. He knows the market. He knows the market for, let's say, for the budget of Jargiris. Mm. He follows a lot of basketball starting from the G League to Australia. He made some good moves in, in Krasnodar and his job was there was not easy because in a normal situation, you know, the sports director, the vice president of his uh, status is building the roster, but then he had some other people also making moves, so it was not that easy, but every year you could see players like Joan Motley, uh, Kevin Harvey uh, coming to Lokomotiv. They made a, a lot of interesting moves, so with the experience he has, with Lithuanian mentality he has, he knows everything in Kaunas, in, in Jalgiris, in Eurocup, a lot of connections, so in my eyes it was 
easy choice for Polish Mativeness. Well, let's just make it simple and wrap it up about Zalgiris. I mean, uh, they're the low-budget team. The money they've spent, or you could say wasted, during the recent years on Garino, Moudier, Strelnex, and Vasturia, the money makes up a franchise player mm-hmm. and a franchise coach like Spiropoulos. And Zalgiris cannot afford these expensive mistakes if they want to make something happen in the EuroLeague. Yeah, and just to wrap it up, uh, just some additional information. Zalgiris also wants to keep both Edgar Solanovas and Lukas Lekavicius, which is a good decision, of course, uh, regarding the money they will uh, offer them. And they also expressed, let's say, expressed interest in, in Marius uh, Grigones, but knowing Zalgiris' financial abilities is for sure not going to be easy because it's unlikely that they can pay him as uh, other um, good yearly clubs. Mm. Uh, let's go with Bra question. Would all EuroLeague team, uh, would all EuroLeague team be a competitive team in the NBA? Would, what could be their ceiling? Hmm. I think we could build a team from best EuroLeague players that will find a way to score points in the NBA. I just don't think we can build a very good defensive team because in the NBA you need some different Mm-hmm. defensive dynamics uh, athleticism abilities right and okay so let let's focus on the on the names the first the all euroleague team like let's the starting five Mitsic, Larkin, Clyburn, Mirotic and Tavares, Davis I don't know who fits NBA game better mm, probably Davis yeah you have like Mike James from the bench yeah for example yeah. As, as a sixth man they they will score points. They will not be a great NBA team, in my eyes. Mm-hmm. I don't think they will. Uh, because, well, in the NBA, again, you cannot just build a team around who's the best player. In the Building a team for an NBA club is like an art, yeah. I would say. Yeah. That's the same. You have exactly the star the player, and then use. you need to add players that fit the idea of playing with the star or a two two superstars mm. or sometimes like you even have the puzzle. big free and on the NBA teams you will find players that get relatively um important minutes but they wouldn't be that great in the EuroLeague but they fit this like Bruce Brown for the Brooklyn Nets mm. I don't think that Bruce Brown would be a great EuroLeague player yeah. but for the Brooklyn Nets he adds what they need so building an NBA team is not as simple as signing the best players mm-hmm. with best skills. You need to have the clear idea how these players will complement your star players because the role players are usually the ones that win you the championship. Mm-hmm. And all EuroLeague team, they would, would have a lot of talent. It wouldn't win on the NBA. I, I don't but think so. But if, on the top of that, if you add one, two, or three NBA players, and let's say solid NBA players. That's how actually, that's what Ergen Ataman suggested. I mean, when he mentioned before the season mm-hmm. in an interview on, on the podcast that uh, FS with one or two NBA guys, solid guys, they would make the playoffs. Uh, what do you think about that kind of scenario? Because I think that it sh- it would be possible. And for some reason, uh, I got back to Toronto Raptors times when Mauricio Gerardini uh, built a uh, European uh, NBA club. And I mean, for example, 2007-8 team, 
which made the playoffs as the sixth seed in, in East. Of course, it, in East, it's way easier when in, in, when in the West and especially in, in that decade. But anyway, for example, their top guys on that team were Chris Bosch. That's that solid NBA player this all-year-league team would need. And then they had Anthony Parker, T.J. Ford, Jose Calderon, Andrea Bargnani, Carlos Delfino, legendary Carlos Delfino, Jamario Moon, Rashon Esterovic, and Jason Capono. That's their core. <laughs> That's 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 incredible, right? <laughs> so the question is, do I see Vasily Mitch winning with Kevin Durant, <laughs> or, or what's the question? Okay, Chris Bosh was not as good as, let's say, Kevin Durant. Right. He was just, you know, that promising guy yeah, coming up. Okay, I agree. If we if we start adding Paul George or, or player players like that to the All Euroleague team, you can have a, a winning team in the NBA playoff I, contender. Let's say. For sure, but no. Is if it's only Euroleague players, no. It's it's a tough season for that team. Igor Yerkovich, uh, Euroleague in two divisions, East and West, thirty-two clubs. Your thoughts, and do you have some info about that? I don't have any info, honestly, too. and I don't really want this model. Indeed, I, th- I think sixteen, eighteen clubs, whatever maybe even 20, but then you have to decide on how the playoffs work because uh, only eight playoff spots is not enough if you have 18 or 20 clubs. It's not fair when you win more than half of your games and you don't get to the postseason. Mm. But divisions, 32 clubs, I don't think there are 32 sustainable, stable clubs in European basketball that could work in the long term. Because if you have 32 clubs, some of them will face financial struggles. There will be a lot of up and downs. We have so many examples in the past uh, where some clubs just all of a sudden they have money, then the money is gone, then the club's gone. Some of them go bankrupt. Some of them just go from top to bottom. No, it's too much. And and divisions, why, why, why would you need that? Even from the... Fan standpoints, I would love to see Barcelona, Real Madrid in Kaunas more than Unix Kazan, for example, even Zen St. Petersburg. I mean, East doesn't sound sexy at all for a fan. If we uh, split the league geographically to the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference, obviously the Eastern Conference is not very sexy. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, no. And as you mentioned, I mean, other than... Partizan, Valencia, and Virtus, I don't see a lot of teams who could keep up with the EuroLeague level. And I, I already like, I mean, we already see that Jalgris, Panaikos, they, they're way, you know, before these uh, top teams. And it's it's sometimes, it's, it's really hard to keep uh, up with these clubs. And then if you add how many, 14 teams, 14 more teams, it's it's hard to keep the intensity of the tournament, and that's what it's all about. That every game matters. Uh, every game can be unpredictable. I just don't see that happening with uh, other who follows uh, Virtus Partizan Valencia in Euro Cup or Champions League. Pick and roll us. Uh, top five biggest overachievers teams in Euroleague history. 
we're talking about modern Euroleague history, right? We're talking about modern Euroleague history, but uh, I still included Jalgiris. I just well, read Tyus Edney interview and how he said that, you know, Olympiacos, they were so confident in the semifinals on 1999. They, they took that game against Jalgiris as a practice for the final, but just because of that, I, I, mm. I kind of used the cheat. No, I didn't, but I still have Jalgiris from Sharos. Ah, okay. They, they made a final four, then they made the top eight. They were the underdogs. Uh, I'm I'm just, I'm sticking with the modern Euroleague. So Jalgiris is there from Shara's days. Maccabi from uh, 2014. First of all, I have Partizan. When final they, four when Partizan. Right? Final four Partizan with Bo McCaleb leading the team. Um, Lawrence Roberts was on that team. I think so. Alex Maric. Yeah, yeah. Nobody expected them to be in a final four. They were there and they were actually close to winning the semi-final game. So... Uh, this partisan team definitely should be included as one of the biggest underdog stories. Then I'm picking the first Olympiakos yeah. title. Against Ska, Pintage's game winner. I mean, they were not the favorites in the semifinal. They played Barca, right, in the semi, mm. I believe. I think so. If I'm not mistaken. And in the final, they were down by almost like 20 points. Mm. Uh, the stage was set for Ska to take the title for Kirilenko to win so the Euroleague. On a budget decrease, it was yeah. kind of a re rebuild season. Everybody, so they were thinking about long-term things. That, and and then you've mentioned Maccabi with Tyrese Rice having his MVP mm -hmm. in the Final Four. Maccabi went to the Final Four as big underdogs. They faced the sky in the semifinal. Yeah. They won during the dying seconds of the game, and then the same happened in the final against Madrid. Then they had a hard time in top 16. And yeah. Actually, they were like two wins uh, away of not making the so playoffs. Do I have top five already? Ralgiris, Partizan, Olympiakos, Maccabi. Probably we're missing something, but it's, it's should, hard to should have one these. more. Probably Lokomotiv making the final four. All these players, nah, they were great. Local, they had a lot of money, a lot of stars. Mm. If, if if we're thinking about teams that made Final Four and and that was really unexpected, I would go maybe with Malaga, Unicaja, when Sergio Scariolo was coaching them. Mm. They made a Final Four with Marcus Brown, supposedly their best player, being half injured all the time. So maybe that story comes to my mind. Mm -hmm. Sarper RL, uh, your league organization is criticized a lot for many different things. What do you think are the lowest hanging fruits, easiest wins they could go for that you feel like, but what don't you just fix this for once and for all are? Well, I don't know. The first thing that comes to my mind is the situation we had last season um, when we had these amazing playoffs in the Euro uh -huh. League. <laughs> and there were those deciding game fives. We had three of three them. We had That's the dream uh, yeah. of every organization, to we have three or four game fives in the playoffs. We had Madrid against FS. We had Barcelona, Barcelona Zenit, Zenit, and Zenit, and Milan, and Bayern. Bayern. Great, great series, and all of them. If you're a, if you're a EuroLeague fan, you want to see all of these games. You want to see all, all, all the action. And not only were these games clashing between themselves, also during that evening you had the UEFA Champions League semifinal. I mean, you have to sort these things. 
these are the best games of your season. These are the highlights of your season. This is the best product you can bring. You have to do everything for people to see these games. You have to find the best solution, the best time, the best available time slots for, for each of those countries so that people could see them. These games were on the same night. Then what they did, they just pushed FS Real Madrid game, I believe, like mm. for one hour. Mm. But then again, your whole season, you're building your calendar to avoid UEFA Champions League games. And then during the most important games, you're competing for airtime with Manchester City, Paris Saint-Germain. I mean, and these <laughs> were like three most important games after yeah. EuroLeague semifinals and final game. This should not and happen. This, I mean, it, it was a disgrace in my opinion. So this is the first thing that comes to my mind. Then you can talk about all these little things like the TV interviews, why sometimes they are such low quality. Why cannot EuroLeague put professionals in mm. charge of this, uh, the website launching mm. during the season and all the bugs with it. Um, Regular season format is not so difficult uh, to do, just yeah. uh, spread the- Social mm. media communication, uh. this nonsense that happened last week with Mike Mo James. Monaco <laughs> and Mike James preparing for a game, that's not- I'm also missing you know, mm. clear communication, uh, for example, the Russian teams and their situation, but then for example, regulation things, when you don't know just until the end of the season, until the mid of April, if two teams from mm. EuroCup will promote uh, promoted EuroLeague or not. I mean, that should be clear before the first day of the season. Mm. So these are the lowest hanging fruits, I think, fair enough. Yeah. Pedro asks us, hey guys, uh, hope you're doing well. Yes, we do. My question is kind of weird, but don't you feel like we're constantly overjudging young prospects? I still remember those who were saying that Nelikina was going to be next Jason Kidd, that Radoncic and Doncic were equal in terms of ceiling, not just their surnames. I'm sure there are journalists right now saying that, I don't know, Marek Blažević is either going to be a star or bust. Do you believe that you're also contributing to this somehow? If you do, what are your thoughts on that? That and on that and does it affect young players it does affect young players obviously uh, it creates too much pressure for them i believe um and i think the media should be more careful sometimes uh, the question makes a lot of sense actually thanks for for, for the question uh, i don't feel that i'm contributing to it a lot because actually I consider myself being rather careful when talking about these young prospects and I'm not the type of guy that hypes a player after one good performance or talks about an 18 year old that, wow, he's the next Michael Jordan or something. Unless it's Luka um, Doncic, I mean. I mean, we saw Luka Doncic when he was 17 years old already that mm. he's. And it was not just potential. He was already delivering on the EuroLeague on the highest stage. But, but he he's a unique yeah. player. Players like Doncic come once in a century probably. Mm -hmm. So uh, it is an issue. I agree with that, that in today's world for a young player, it's it's not that easy to keep your head straight and keep your feet on the ground because if you read a lot about yourself you have a good game then also you have a lot of scouts agents around you and mm. the environment is pretty stressful and uh, some mental health issues might occur when you're a young player and you're not living up to your potential you're a high draft pick but you're not delivering now all of a sudden people are talking this is a, he's a bust his career is is unsuccessful uh, 
definitely it is an issue it is a problem and i don't like when people for example watch fiba under 19 championships and they mm. talk about some players like this is a superstar in the making the guy didn't even play in in, mm -hmm. in the men's game yet so just be patient let him grow i mean it, it has to be a, a natural process mm. i would like to say sometimes these days people start talking about 15 year olds yeah already putting labels on them yeah i also think that we should be more patient with all these players who didn't um, let's say reach their uh, expectations uh, that were around early like some something that as you mentioned that you're 20 year old and you're not delivering as everybody expected on oh you're suddenly your bus no we have a lot of examples where even great yearly players started to deliver on a high level from 27 28 9 years old for example we had Kronoslav Simon who started playing on good yearly level only at the age of 27 for example, Arturas Milagnes, right? He was nothing until 27. Now he's one of the legendary, let's say, uh, shooters in the whole EuroLeague uh, history. John Brown, he just got recognized recently and he's 30 uh, already. I mean, we should be more patient with all these uh, players uh, on, on which we put a lot of pressure and a lot of expectations. We could take an example, Dante Exum right yeah he was a lottery pick people were talking about that this is a game changer this is a unique point guard he's going to change the league he's going to be the franchise player for the utah jazz okay it didn't work out people in america probably still thinking that dante exam is a bust of course but he has an olympic medal he's now playing in barcelona he might be a euroleague champion this season who could say that his career is not successful? Yeah, and there's still, still many years I to think. go. There's yeah. still many years to go. It seems he went through so much things already that he looks like a veteran, but he's not. He's still yeah. 26 and he's delivering on the EuroLeague stage. Any player that actually wins championships in Europe, any player that wins Olympic medals or Eurobaskets or whatever, deserves a lot of respect. It doesn't matter that he lived up to the hype or not. Mm. And actually, we have a very similar question by Victor Vick. Uh, he asks about Victor Vembanyama, who, yeah. uh, who's been in Kaunas recently. Is he really worth number one uh, pick? Mm -hmm. And he, is he really Gobert with shooting? Huh. Were uh, you in Kaunas, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, Vembanyama, right? That's an interesting case. Mm -hmm. uh, Asfel, is, Asfel is the best club for him to be because Asfel wants him to play a lot wants him to grow no one's punishing him for mistakes no one's punishing him for some bad decisions on the court uh the club's interest is that Banyama grows and he turns out the first draft pick in 2023 and does he deserve the first draft pick in my eyes well i don't know all of these um, ncaa talents but Banyama, player with these i don't know incredible physiques mm -hmm. <laughs> Of course, he has to be the number one pick. Uh, usually, you're drafting players for their potential ceiling, mm. not for what they can do right here, right now. And the ceiling for Vembanyama, I don't know. The sky is the limit. Um, Gobert with shooting, I'm not so sure. I mean, he has he has some small forward moves. Mm. He's very quick in that body. He's quick. He can drive. 
facing the yeah, basket. For example, Joe Schneebo, Tyler Kavanaugh, they had problems and chasing yes, him. And yes, he's shooting, and yes, he can be the rim protector. And yes, it is different in EuroLeague when you can just stand there under the rim for 10 seconds while one of us is doing his post-up, and then he's going to block it. And the NBA had the defensive three-second rule. There are mm. a lot of things, but the NBA teams will draft him because of his potential, potential. ceiling. And then when you have him, when Yama, you can decide what you want from him, what you expect from him. Some teams might see him as an all-around type of player, like Giannis and Tatakumpo, that is even bigger, mm. with even longer arms. Other teams, yeah, might see him as a Rudy Gobert with more offensive skills. But he's definitely the first pick. I I don't see how a player like this can be overlooked. It's mm. impossible. Do you have any comparisons to him? No. I don't yeah. honestly. I mean, it's, it's because it's so it's, it's actually ridiculous so hard to to imagine such a successful player being two hundred and twenty centimeters, and he can still grow. He's eighteen years yeah. old, <laughs> and his body is just he amazing. looks ridiculous. He looks like uh, from I mean, a space jam. Really, Konas during that game when when the starting lineups uh, uh. line up in the middle of the court, you have some big guys. You have like Nebo. You have Cameron. Yeah, uh, usually they look like big guys. Then there's this guy. <laughs> a giant and those arms he changed the wow. whole understanding what is big and what is not not if, i mean his physical abilities are really insane and and at the same time you see the skills and you hear him on the interviews that he's smart he's smart he's yeah. very smart so i'm really excited to see him in europe i'm excited to see him for one more year in the euroleague next mm -hmm. year he should be uh, more accomplished player, I, w I would say, on mm. the court, because this year he's getting minutes in advance. Yeah. You see, sometimes, I mean, this game in Konos was his best so far. And next season, I, I expect a lot more performances like this. Yeah. I was actually surprised the way he impacted the game. I mean, oh how he was <laughs> creating a lot of problems and switching defense. I mean, Yannis Sterlnex, he didn't have a chance to pass the ball inside. Olanovas, he got blocked uh, with that uh, step back uh, three pointer. I think there were five blocks. Yeah, he, he five had five blocks, blocks right. for eighteen year old kid. It's it's just amazing. I mean, the ceiling for him is very high, literally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because where is the ceiling? <laughs> but we were just joking with my colleague that he should uh, live in in house. Uh, how we call it? Uh, all these houses with high ceilings. Uh, I just a forgot. castle, <laughs> <laughs> something like, like like a tower, but, probably. But the ceiling Loft, it, it, lofts, yeah, lofts, exactly. The ceiling in basketball terms is also very high. <laughs> And when you want to compare him to someone, I don't have any. Comp it's something between Rudy Gobert and Yanis Antetokounmpo, and with potentially even better shooting and better defense. Uh, wow. Yeah, because yeah, okay. Wow. Uh, John Hulk, uh, who was the first player that made you fall in love with basketball? He once European player, European actually. player. For him, it was Ardas Matiauskas. Nice. Very For nice. me, I have to be honest, it was not European player, but he was playing in Europe, and it was Ty Sedney, because I just started watching basketball at the age of seven, and he was dominating in the EuroLeague, being mm. one meter seventy eight centimeters, I think. Probably even smaller. I mean, I started earlier, of course, with my father, watching the Lithuanian national team and Jalgiris, and the first players that I started admiring were obviously Sabonis and Mochilonis. Uh, but then if you, if I have to choose one player that actually helped me realize how much I love basketball, 
It is not a European player, technically. Manu Ginobili? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, uh, his days in, in Virtus, Bologna, I, I was watching him and admiring him so much, and I just wanted to pick up the ball and, and try to do some stuff, which I couldn't, obviously. I'm not even left-handed, <laughs> but Manu Ginobili, yeah, he would be the guy. Gendamiano uh, Bovi uh, he actually asked us a lot of good questions we took this one uh, first of all thank you so much I haven't missed an episode uh, since the release of the podcast shout out to you Gendamiano uh, thanks for watching and could you talk a bit about yourselves how you became basketball journalist yeah that's a nice one um, well first of all I don't consider myself a basketball journalist to be honest I'm not a journalist I think being a sports commentator and a journalist Journalism, these are two different things. Even being a podcaster is not... Yeah. Podcasting is not journalism, basically. You're a journalist. You work... But still, it. I'm doing not a journalist troll in this podcast, let's say. We're just yeah, talking about basketball this from podcast, a fan standpoint with some yeah, information if, and with if, some knowledge. If, let's say, see. we're talking about our day jobs, even though they're not yeah. nine-to-five day jobs. I'm a sports commentator. Yeah. You're a basketball journalist. These are different things. Uh, I tried journalism a little bit. I didn't really like writing that much mm. uh, but talking about how i got myself here it's it's a rather funny story i i would say uh, as you can hear uh, i was obsessed with basketball from the early days i mean the 90s this was the time when we all f saw the nba for the very first time and michael jordan was the figure for all of us probably i remember my father waking us up me and my brother, who is three years older than me, early in the morning to watch the fourth quarter of the Utah oh, Jazz. He was waking the, you up, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. What were you thinking about that, or you kind of, you know, asked no. that to, to wake you up? It, it was a huge thing to see the yeah. NBA, Michael Jordan against the Utah Jazz before even against the Sonics. So mm. we had to see it, <laughs> and then during my childhood, I was either playing with a ball or I was watching some other people playing not only basketball football of course also but let's focus on basketball and then my teenage years i think somewhere around 15 16 my mother was the one that pushed me and told me that i think you could be a good sports commentator because you're very talkative you love to talk you love to spread your opinion about everything and and you watch so many games you all know all these players know everything about them and let let me interrupt you when you were playing nba live were you commentating your own games all the time amazing yeah all the time all the time <laughs> not only nba live all the other <laughs> sports just playing with yourself all the other sports simulators outside, yeah for all the time man and at that time, I wasn't really sure. Yeah, sports commentating sounds nice. I don't know how 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 to achieve it. In mm. Lithuania, there's there were no like path. three or four sports commentators covering all the needs. Uh, but then, you know, I, I went to the university. I actually have a bachelor's degree in, in English philology. I got a job at a call center. I had no idea what I'm doing with my life and how can I be in basketball. But one day I realized that I have to do something in my life with basketball because during the uh, graduating exam sessions in high school, uh, before the most important exam, the Lithuanian language, a national exam, 
Um, it was the NBA final series, Celtics Lakers. Okay. I don't remember whether it was game five or game six. So I had the exam at 9 a.m. I watched the game live. It finished at 7 a.m. or something like that. Then I played a game of 2K on my laptop. Then I went to the exam. <laughs> and at that time, I realized that, I mean, basketball was more important to me than some exams. And so what kind of results did you receive uh, from that exam? Pretty good, 67% <laughs> out of 100. So it's not that bad. Yeah. Uh, but then to finish how I got here, like I said, I was working a day job in a call center and that that's it. And then my cousin one time texted me, uh, look, I found on Facebook uh, a commentator's contest. People in Lithuania are looking for a commentator to cover NKL um, games. That's the second division uh, in Lithuania. So I was still living with my parents. I went to my parents' um, toilet and with okay. the laptop. Okay. And I recorded myself for two minutes uh, doing the play-by-play -play for Žalgiris Prieny game. And I, I, I've sent the footage to the, to the people that were uh, organizing this whole thing. They liked my footage and they invited me for a tryout, let's say, in, in Shake, a random game. I prepared like for two days everything I could about this game and all the players. <laughs> I, I went there four hours before the tip-off, I caught the coaches of both teams and talked with them like for half an hour about every single How did player. How react? I mean, that's uh, not they, a typical pre-game situation. They, they just looked at me uh, like at a crazy person. Mm -hmm. I was asking about every single player who's left-handed, who's right-handed, <laughs> and okay. stuff like that. Uh, but this was the first step, and after that, everything sort of started happening so fast that mm -hmm. I in two years time ended up in the Eurobasket in Riga. Then I, I started working with the Olympics. Then I was hired by the biggest sports media channel in Lithuania, TV free to do the Euroleague, the Premier League, Champions League, the, the NBA. And now I'm here also with you. So this is my story. I tried Try to be short, but it's not, not no. that short. But that's a great example, you know, <laughs> yeah. how you should do something about your life if you really like something and you feel that you're not doing what you should do yeah. and what not makes you, you know, your life and your days as joyful as it should and be. And how did you end up? You uh, you were working for basketball websites like from like from earlier days, something right. like that. Yeah. And it all started uh, with it's all started from the obsession for the game of basketball. And I can remember that I, I was obsessed about basketball since the days I can remember, yeah. uh, literally. Because, but what kind of, you know, changed my life a little bit, why I didn't end up, uh, for example, playing basketball, not professionally, but at least going to basketball school or, or something. Uh, the thing is that I was, um, my grandfather uh, was playing chess and when I was five years old, he introduced me to chess and he offered my parents to send me to chess school in, in Panevejis in my hometown. And I was so good actually that in Lithuanian U7 championship, I won silver, you know, and I was successful and they thought that I just should continue that. But the thing is, and I was, I was, I was okay. I mean, I went to European Championship uh, under ten, and I had nice ELO uh, ranking. Uh, I was, uh, let's say, on that 
better shelf of chess players uh, at my age. But what what was interesting, where is basketball and all this uh, story is is that, for example, we had some great tournaments in in, in cities like Palanga, Drusinke, and these big tournaments like Lithuanian Championships. They took for a week, and you had like one game or two games per day maximum in Lithuanian Championship. But what I remember the most, what we were doing um, outside games. And every time, every situation where we found any time, we were playing basketball, (laughs) especially during the lunch break or after the second game, which means for the evening. Instead of preparing for the following day's uh, games, chess games, we were playing basketball. And what was funny that I remember a lot of good players actually who played chess, but who also played basketball. And for example, one of them, one very, very uh, high ranked chess player, Mantas Kazanos. I don't know if you remember him. He played for Letkabilis. Yeah. He was a great chess player, actually. I remember him, yeah. Yeah, there were some other guys. Uh, I remember very well. Justas Telvikas, he never played for a pro level, uh, but he was such a short guy, and I just remember he him making trees. <laughs> and I, I, I remember when I left chess at the age of 13 or 14, and I'm like 19, studying in Vilnius, and I see, I saw that guy on the street, he was taller than me, and I saw that he was playing at some amateur level uh, pretty successfully. Yeah. So I just remembered all these games, all these gyms, all these bad gyms where we played basketball, but it was the best thing of our chess <laughs> tournaments. So yeah, I just offered myself as a volunteer for Eurobasket LT website when I was like in 10th grade or something. I worked as a volunteer at the beginning, and then I started earning like, 30 euros per month, something like that. And it just, you know, happened. Kripšinisnet, Alritasalt, our big websites, and it just went on a fast track. Since yeah, then. probably passion was the driving force for both of us, passion for the game. I could say obsession yeah. also, because, you know, one thing is to watch EuroLeague every time it's on television or wa- wake up uh, during the night to watch the NBA games, which I was doing for my whole life, actually. Mm. Uh, the other thing is um, not knowing limitations of your body me being very short and weak actually uh it was not the best decision to play every single day basketball football every single day every single day and then i ended up tearing my acl three times because the doctor said that dude your your um your whole structure is not fit to actually play contact sport but i just wanted to play all the time when I was a kid, I wake up early in the morning, I rush outside, I start playing. I look for random courts where people are playing, who can the best include me to their games. Just The best moment was when, when you were watching NBA Finals yeah. and it ends like at 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning. The first thing you do, you go outside to play. Of course. And I remember my neighbors really hated me because <laughs> they're hearing <laughs> ball dancing ball. all the time. And you, you <laughs> kind of put yourself in these situations, you're commentating, I mean, you're just shooting the basketball or just imitating some plays. Yes. You're, you pretend that you're kind of, you know, NBA player and you want to make a game winner. You're making the game winner from the fifth uh, attempt, let's say, but still, you know, it's fifth you counted. Best. <laughs> <laughs> these were crazy days. Oh, yeah. And we have a, actually a great question by Caius Jedalis for the ending. Uh, it's a kind of complex question. Uh, Ritis and Donatas, beer or wine? And yours number one player now? And if you had the chance, what question would you ask? For example, I don't know if it's connected, but I can imagine that having beer and wine and, you know, having that player at dinner, for example, mm-hmm. that would be an amazing mm-hmm. situation. I'm a beer guy 
for sure. Um, I'm picking beer. I I don't get wine, uh, honestly. I, I, I like wine, but for me it depends. If I'm in a pub or with a yeah. group of guys together, of course beer. But if I'm enjoying my time with my wife or a small company, mm. I like wine. Wine is something you need to understand. Not to really. Choose, there are right? great apps right now. Right. You know they okay. rank wine, so it's easier to um, choose. You know. I don't have anything in the middle. I'm I'm either drinking beer or I'm going for tequila shots. <laughs> Those middle drinks like wine, they're not for me. Um, so I'm gonna go with beer. And the player, wow, right now, number one right now. I think during the last few, few years, I just realized how much I admire Kevin Durant. Um, had the same player. Actually. And not just because of talent he has, but what he could uh, bring on the table for a good conversation. His personality is sort of misunderstood. Interesting, there are some myths and legends about him as well. But mm, I was not like a huge fan of Kevin Durant when he was playing for Oklahoma, for example, because mm. at that time I was uh, cheering for the Spurs, uh, for Parker, uh, Ginobili and, and Duncan and Coach Popovich and Patty Mills and all the other guys. And when he moved to Golden State Warriors, I was one of those people that were kind of disappointed because it makes the league boring because the Warriors are going to win now easily with all this talent. But then basically after his Achilles injury, I started realizing how much I appreciate Kevin Durant. Then what he did for the USA team in the Olympics, how he carried the Brooklyn Nets and was this close to the uh, to beating the Milwaukee Bucks last season and the way he's playing, the way he wants to play like 48 minutes on the court, he gets asked all these questions. Is it not too much for you, for your body? He says, just let me die out there. I want to play. Um, I have so much admiration for Kevin Durant. And, and what was your question? Uh, my one question to him: Do you really have all these burner accounts? <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the very similar what I would be asking him because I also had uh, Kevin uh, because of his talent and because of his personality, because of his journey. And that's the thing. I mean, that's the main topic which I would ask about. I mean, why he's just not turning this outside no noise, you know, how he's dealing with it, all these burner accounts and everything, what happens around him. Because, I mean, if I was a player, I would really try to do everything to just you know, just mute everything what happens around me and just focus on basketball. But it seems like that he likes to get involved in some crazy situations. Not as Draymond Green, who <laughs> called out all these journalists after the Olympic gold. But, but I mean, he's he's very weird. He has very weird approach on this and he spokes about it often. He always tweets about some takes that some journalists made. So it's, he gets into involved. beefs, a lot of yeah, beefs, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, on social media, but actually he's a very private guy. You don't know much about his private life yeah. other than how much he loves his mom. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you know anything about his girlfriends exactly, or anything? Nothing. No, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Zero. That's what I really admire. But I mean, all these basketball topics, they are so, so interesting. I, and I believe that from w this single question, a lot of different things would be uh, you know, questioned and a lot of good topics would be brought uh, in the, in right. the conversation. But, but you're going to drink wine. Yeah, I'm drinking wine. I, I believe red, is also red wine? red wine. Red wine. You know, when my wine obsession started with, I don't remember who brought me this idea, but they said, hey, look, LeBron James is drinking wine all the time. <laughs> and look at him, how good he looks, how, how, 
how long he plays in the NBA on the highest level, it has to be something with wine not, let's say, damaging him. I was like, okay, that's that's I, a great I idea. I just saw Nikola Jokic with all these cans of Yellen, uh, <laughs> so I'm drinking beer. <laughs> Luka Doncic is probably also a beer and guy. I'm a hookah guy, so, yeah. <laughs> okay, right. okay, folks, that yeah. that was a pleasure. Really, that was a It was pleasure. really nice to answer all of your questions, maybe in some of them we were kind of boring, I don't know, but... Hopefully it, it was a good episode. Rytis Tušniauskas, Donatas Urbanas. Thank you all for listening, watching us and being with us and making all these questions. See you next time really, really soon.